Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Great Scott Podcast. Today, I am joined by the voice of the UFC, who is also an author, an announcer, a businessman, an avid poker player, and an actor. How's it, Mr. Bruce Buffer? How's it going, Bruce? Uh, it's going great. I appreciate it, Michael. It's uh, very busy and very happy to be doing everything I'm doing. I was going to ask you, how, how is it that you managed to do it all? Is there enough time in the day for you to do it all? Sometimes, no. Most of the time, yes, because I'm an animal. But you know, <laughs> the bottom line is, in all the in all the businesses I've run um, and owned and you know managed and CEO'd and the whole bit, uh, you get somebody eight hours to do a four-hour job, they'll take eight hours. You give them four hours to do an eight-hour <laughs> job, they'll get it done in four hours. And I'm always, you know, I work fast. I like to get things done properly. And, and, and uh, it's just one of the things I take great pride in. No problem working as long as I enjoy and am passionate about what I do. Now, uh, you're also the half-brother of a, uh, another announcer named Michael Buffer, um, which we are all very familiar with uh, from the Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Um, boxing ring right uh, and uh how and you guys um it so it was not till later in life for you that you guys really got to know each other um can you tell us that process of how you guys got to uh meet and um uh the relationship that you guys have today well very long story cut short um when i was 28 29 years old huge fan of boxing Back in the late 80s, my grandfather, Johnny Buff, was champion of the world in 1921 uh, in the the flyweight and bantamweight divisions. And out came this, in the late 80s, this very debonair, James Bond-looking individual, happened to be Michael Buffer. And he captured uh, the attention of a lot of people because he brought a pizzazz and a flair to the ring announcing that was never done before. And um, his famous saying, let's get ready to rumble, which he didn't come up with right away, but was made very, very popular as Tyson, Mike Tyson, and boxing was a water cooler conversation on a Monday at the office. Uh, Michael became as popular, if not more famous, than the boxers themselves. So watching TV one night when they kind of his name on the screen, I had never met him. And we kind of look alike, but don't look alike, but kind of look alike, but look alike. Um, (laughs) I might just, my gut went like, what's going on here? Because I own telemarketing companies in my 20s and 30s. Uh, at various different businesses and we didn't have the internet back then and a natural thing for anybody to do was to look in the phone book and look up their last name and I never saw my last name in any phone book in the United States so that made the whole situation even more interesting um, so with that respect you know we I searched him out and we finally met uh, my dad called him when he did an event in LA and it turned out to be my father's long-lost uh, son and my long-lost half-brother who I never knew existed until my dad told me at that time, when I asked him about who this guy was, he said it might be my brother uh, from a marriage he never told me about during World War II because he was married to my mom for some 50 years at this point, 45 years. Um, and he admitted to me that a child was born, and it was one of those things, and it turned out to be Michael Buffer. Oh, wow. So we got together. With it. Yeah, we got together. We got along great. I used to go to the fights with Michael. And uh, about four years later, I sold two very successful businesses that I was burned out on. I wasn't passionate about anymore, even though the money was incredible, um, to roll the dice and become his manager and his business partner. And we agreed I wouldn't announce boxing. And I thought, okay, well, something will come along, and I don't want to cause a confliction of interest, so I wanted to be an announcer. And I think the rest is pretty well uh, written history that we're all kind of aware of if we're aware of it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you've become the voice of the uh, UFC and the Octagon. You've been doing that for over 20 years. Um, when when you and Michael first met, was it kind of a awkward uh, first time meeting for you guys? 
No, it was actually very cool because I, I was a fan, and here's my brother walking in, my half brother, and uh, if anything, I was just absolutely fascinated by the whole the whole situation. Okay, so um, like I said, you also uh, do other other stuff outside of the octagon. Uh, you're also a martial artist yourself, and um, I was reading how uh, you had a brain injury. I think it was uh, that you that forced you to quit kickboxing. Was it? Well, what it was is that I was training very hard every week, you know, training four times a week, heavily sparring every week for, you know, long periods of time and uh, just basically taking blows to the head. And I actually was training because I wanted to try and get one professional fight, just to say I had one pro fight, like a three-round kickboxing fight. And I was concussed during training, which was, I thought was my second or third. But when the doctor saw me, it's like, you know, the signs I was showing just stop. I, I'm just 32. He said, are you making money at this? I said, no, I just love fighting. And uh, but I make my money elsewhere and I do quite well. And he said, well, the best thing to do is keep training, but don't take any more shots. It's really not good. You'll have a problem potentially as you get older, like, you know, most guys that are out there banging away like you are, if not much, much more so on a professional level. So advice well heed, well taken. And I kept training, but, um, you know, gave up uh, knocking heads unless I have to knock heads. And that's right. a realistic situation, not a sparring situation. So, um, do you get to socialize much outside of the octagon with uh, with these fighters at all? Yeah, I've made a lot of great friends over the years. Twenty three years, I've met incredible uh, people, incredible friendships, and you know, uh, acquaintances, everything else. So, uh, speaking of the UFC, um, I think that uh, you might be familiar with this place, which I am uh, actually originally from. I'm living out in Palm Springs now, but I am originally from Kansas City. Of course, I'm very familiar. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I've been to work uh, some of the USC events, and uh, it's quite quite fun when you actually see it in person versus uh, seeing it on TV. Yeah, it's a whole other world. I mean, it, the USC with the way they put together the production, um, the way the fights are rolled out, it's a very exciting event. It's like being at a rock concert, you know, for many people. And uh, in that respect, uh, the in-person experience as a UFC fan is something every UFC fan should be able to absolutely. at least experience at one point or another, of course. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, you see, you hear the knocks that go down, especially on the, in the octagon. It's a hard knock when they fall down. That's how hard and how big they are, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so what, so let me ask you this. What is the toughest thing about being the uh, voice of the UFC? Well, I'm not fighting, and, you know, it is work. It's uh, definitely preparation, everything else. There's no question. I put a lot of energy and passion into my job, but I love what I do, so I won't call it tough. The toughest part about my job, when you love something, it's a lifestyle. You know, otherwise, you're going to work and doing a job, and that's not always fulfilling if you're not happy with what you're doing. Right. For me, it's a lifestyle, and I'm doing what I love. My favorite sport, aside from my favorite sport, which is surfing, um, but the travel. That's the hardest part. I just got back from Russia, left on a Wednesday evening, got back on a Sunday afternoon, and it took almost 20 hours to travel each way to get there. So if you do the math, that is wearing on the body. There's nothing healthy about being in a plane. Yes, flying business class, first class is great and all, but um, when you do it as much as we do, you know, there's moments where like you wish you weren't on the plane and you were in a Star Trek teleporter machine to make it much easier, but it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so also, I, I do watch you when you do the UFC, and uh, I just see lots of energy coming out of you. I mean, you're like jumping around. I mean, your uh, your voice is really going high, and I just want to say that I really love the energy that you uh, show, especially on, on the TV when I, when I watch you. 
Thank you. That's pure passion, my friend, for what I love to do, like I was mentioning earlier. And, 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 I, and I do that with, with the greatest of uh, pleasures. Now, uh, did you always want to be an announcer uh, growing up? Uh, was there someone that inspired no. you maybe to – no? Okay. No, not at all. If anything, the announcing I found fascinating when I was watching my brother Michael Buffer do it. Um, but I never wanted to be Frank Sinatra Jr. When I decided if I ever got into the field, I'd give myself two to three years to develop my own style. If not, I would leave because I'm not the kind of guy that wants to be like a lot of other people are that copy Michael and like a lot of announcers do copying my physical and, and voice the way I announce now, which is, you know, a very pleasurable thing because um, imitation is the height of flattery, of course. Right. But I wanted to be known as Bruce Buffer and be known distinctly for what I bring to announcing. And just like Michael brought things and changed the world of announcing, people are telling me I've done the same thing, but I'm just happy if people are happy with my work and I'm the biggest critic of anybody. Every night I walk out there, that's my first night. And if I think I don't deserve to be there, you will hear I'm ready to retire. I'm very realistic, very critical. And my passion is what drives me. When that passion subsides and I'm just doing it for a paycheck or whatever, that's not what I want to be like. Even though I, I'll be the first to cash the paycheck at the bank. <laughs> right. I want, I want to do it. Yeah, I want to do it because I love it. And what you said, and I appreciate what you said, the energy and what I throw in the octagon floor passion-wise, that's me having a great time. And that's me loving what I do. And that's the pleasure of my passion, which is just stronger than ever now. And right. I don't see leaving the octagon for 10 or more years, to be honest with you. And I think that you might have answered this question already, but uh, like I said, you've been doing this for more than 20 years. Uh, what, what is it that keeps you motivated to, to do this? My love of the sport, my love of the fighters, my love of the fans, and my love for what I do. Um, and, uh, and I was also reading how uh, not, not just me that tells you that loves this, you also receive a lot of letters from the fans telling you how, how much uh, they love the UFC and, uh, and what you do as well. Yeah, I get a lot of letters from the fans, and, and they also, um, one thing I started for them is that I started doing uh, personalized audio and video recordings at my site at brucebuffer.com, and I made them very uh, affordable for the fans and their keepsakes for life, because I'm introducing them like they're being introduced in the cage, in the octagon, as a champion, and um, we do, I do birthdays, I do tons of weddings, I did bar mitzvahs today. Um, it's amazing the request. I mean, even the birth of babies is very popular. And I'm there to help and, and make the fans as happy as I can whenever I can. Because without the fans, we're nothing. You know? Right, absolutely. And even though I'm getting a little coin for it. Yeah, absolutely. And even though I'm getting uh, you know, a little coin, a very small amount compared to what I have been paid, um, I donate partial proceeds to animal, military, and children's charities. So I just I just want to give back. I want to pay it forward a little bit. That's great. That's great. I always love it when I see people who have succeeded to the level that you have always give back and um, be able to to stay humble and and do do what they do to give back. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a pleasure on my part. And also, I think I was also reading. Um, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think you were on a, a episode or two of Friends with Robin Williams and Billy Crystal. Is that right? Yeah, that was back in 1996. I still get residual checks every month for that because the show's so damn popular. But um, yeah, that was a great experience. And that was the day, that, the week rather, that I told the UFC owner, Robert Myers, that I felt like a, somebody waiting to be asked to the prom because I'd been searching to solidify my relationship with the UFC announcer for a year and a half. And when they finally, uh, one of the brothers asked me to co-star as myself on the show, I used that as a ploy in a poker hand. 
to convince them that like, hey, here we are now on the biggest show, comedy on TV, I'm co-starring as myself. You're going to be recognized more than ever. Let's stop screwing around. Let's make a deal. And that was the best poker hand I ever played. And I started announcing every show from that point forward. Oh, wow. So uh, is Robin Williams the same way offstage as we see him on stage? Um, I had the pleasure of seeing Robin Williams many times on stage as a kid because at the comedy store, so I'm a huge stand-up comedy fan. Right. Um, the thing is, I did not get to work with him or Billy Crystal. They filmed their scene before I got on set, and I filmed it with everybody else, you know, John Favreau and the whole cast of Friends. But it was a, you know, it's, it's always a fun experience filming a TV show or a movie, um, depending on the movie or TV show you're filming. But right, right. Also, one other thing that I noticed about you, Bruce, is that uh, you also keep in shape quite, quite well. I mean, you're, you're still in very good athletic shape um, for, for yourself. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I'm 61 now, and the bottom line is I've been an athlete my whole life, and active my whole life, and you know, I used to train to compete. Now I train to get older and to travel, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I, 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 I pride myself in having a four-and-a-half pack and being able to you know, get out there and do the sports that I love to do. and um, it's, it's just part of the pleasure. You've got to stay active, man. You've got to take care of your temple. Absolutely. Yeah, you put the best gas and the best oil in your car if you want that car to last. And the same thing applies much more so to the human body. Now, I was reading, uh, speaking of staying in shape, um, I'm not sure if you still do or not, but I was also reading how you trained with a guy named Ari Emanuel. Um, at, and you guys used to, like, train at, like, 5 a.m. in the morning. Well, I'll give that edge more to Ari because I would get there early to train with uh, professional NHL hockey athletes and conditioning training like Chris Chelios and Chris Simon and Rob oh, yeah. and all. And Ari used to be there, and then the trainer who was training us, you know, Ari's an animal. Ari would literally be there at 5 in the morning. I mean, the man um, constantly stays in shape. He has a wrestling background, and he's a, been a great addition to the UFC and, and everything that's going on. It's, uh, I really like Ari Ellie, or Ari Emanuel. Excuse me. He's, a, he's just a great guy. Yeah, he also represents – oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, he also was uh, characterized in uh, Entourage by um, – the agent and entourage, uh, the main character. That was a takeoff on Ari Emanuel. Oh, okay. He also is a uh, Hollywood agent who represents some of the top uh, people in the entertainment industry. Biggest biggest uh, agency in the world, my friend. Biggest agency, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, let me ask you this. I'll uh, I'll end on, uh, well, I have one, one more question after this. Uh, so was there ever a time where you thought that maybe uh, this whole UFC announcing thing might might not happen? Uh, what was more, no, when I go after, I get, I know I'm going to get, I, I'm just, I'm tenacious and I always believe that I'll achieve what I want, but there was a time before UFC was taken over by Dana White and the Fertitas. The question I'd like to elaborate on your question is, would the UFC even last? Was it going to, was it going to make it? We were on our way out and Dana and the Fertitas saved it with the ultimate fighter and everything they'd done. And now <clears throat> what was a rocket ship turned into a downward ship, turned into a major rocket ship. That is still climbing and, and entering terrestrial territories that are unexplored, as the as the uh, Star Trek saying goes. And everybody that has an MMA business behind the UFC is following in their, you know, their flames and everything they're creating. And, and the doors are knocking down to allow everybody to enjoy and, and promote the sport, whether they're fighting, promoting other sports other than the UFC or not, or other events other than the UFC MMA events. So that it's a true honor to be part of history of a sport that was created and made it to mainstream sports. Cause in my lifetime, I don't know any of the sport that's ever done that. I know. I mean, 
I mean, like you say, I mean, uh, it's pretty much worldwide. It's gone worldwide, not just here in America, but I know of other countries that also have the UFC, and uh, they're, I know they're watching it over in other countries, and it's, like you say, become a, a very big big explosion. Uh, no question. Absolutely, no question. So uh, my, my final question for you is, um, what advice would you give to someone who kind of wants to do what, what you want to do? Well, it's not easy, as most things are not easy, because there's not a lot of jobs out there. You know, it's not like you're going and <clears throat> looking for a job in a restaurant. There's 8,000 restaurants, or to be an actor, there's 8,000 jobs for acting. But if this is what you want to choose to do, you got to cut your teeth on anything you can do locally. I always get advice like this. Nobody's going to fly, and I don't, I'm just very black and white. I don't pull strings and cut corners. Right. Nobody is going to fly anybody from point A a thousand miles to point B, pay an airfare and hire you if you're not established. So the trick is one of the key things I would suggest is concentrate in your local area, apply for amateur and non-amateur fighting events that are happening, cut your teeth, build a resume, handle yourself with class, handle yourself with style, um, and uh, just cut your teeth and build a resume and take videos of everything you do. And when you hear of other events opening, Use that as your ploy and send your resume and your videos in and see if they're interested in hiring you. It's a very ABC, nut and bolts, no surprise way of getting a job, my friend. It's just like any other job there is. You've got to go for it. Well, you have quite the resume to, to back it up, and um, it's amazing all the stuff that you've been able to accomplish, and uh, I wish you much continued success, sir. Thank you very much, Michael. I appreciate it too, my friend. And, and when you send it out, tag me on your tweet or whatever. I'll retweet the interview out for you. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. God, God bless you, sir. All right. God bless you too. Take care, my friend. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.